0: On This week in sales, we're going to be looking at why you should challenge your sales target if it looks ugly for 2021. We're going to take a look at a study that shows 66% of sellers would rather clean their bathroom rather than update their CRM system and how hub and spoke might be the future of selling from home and much, much more. Hi everyone. My name is Will Barron and I'm the host of, or one host of this week in sales. The other half of the show, Victor Antonio joins me by the power of the internet. Victor, how is it going, sir?
1: Man, it is going good, Will. It's getting a little chilly here in Atlanta, Georgia, but other than that, it's pretty good. How about yourself?
0: I'm very good. Yeah, it's, it's proper autumn now, uh, to the point of me and me, my girlfriend are uh, blowing leaves around the garden to try and tidy it up. That's when I know that winter's coming. Why, why can't it just be autumn? Why does it have to be proper autumn? Uh, so, so, prop, uh, do you, so in cities in the US, do you not use this terminology of you might have New York and then New York proper, which is like the actual inner city?
1: True. Is that how you say so, so you say proper, you're in the autumn.
0: Yeah. No, no, no it's just a little bit mild and there's, there's a few leaves here. Now, if I'm pulling out the leaf blower, the, the, the shit has hit the fan,
1: literally. <laughs> Got it. Or the leaves have hit the fan. There you go.
0: <laughs> Good. Well, let's jump into this, Victor. So first up, a report from Forrester that says sales leaders should not commit to unrealistic numbers for 2021. I've got a few points here and there's a few recommendations, but Victor, just on the top of this, and this is from a, a slideshow presentation that was hosted on LinkedIn Live. How wary how should we be as salespeople when we get numbers given to us right now for the next following year? How, how much should we be battling these numbers and trying to get them to become more appropriate?
1: I mean we're we're acting like this is something novel right <laughs> that we're given that we're given unrealistic numbers every year of course we're given unrealistic the unrealistic numbers uh, I think we're talking about because we don't know what the outcome of the pandemic might be is what we're thinking about but but I think I mean it's always a challenge man when you're you know you've been in sales I've been in sales you know every year fourth quarter the politicking begins right you know, we start kind of like, well, I don't know if I can make this number next year. Well, I don't know if I can repeat it. So we start downplaying. Did you do that, by the way? Of course, I did, did you yeah. sand? Yeah. Did you sandbag? Is that, we call it sandbag. Yep. What do you call it? I,
0: exactly the same. So if I knew I had a big deal coming in in Q1, Q2, and, and just the timeframes I'd usually be working at, it'd be three to six months lead time on on working on a deal selling medical devices to the NHS here in the UK. I just wouldn't tell people about it. I wouldn't even tell my manager and tell him or her to keep it on the down
1: low. I would just not tell anyone. <laughs> yeah, I mean so this says sales leaders don't commit to unrealistic numbers for 2021. Okay. Let's 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 talk about that. Well, let's go through the bullet points. Let's see what they have to say.
0: Okay, so there's and and this isn't just an opinion. This is analysis has been analysis that has been done by Forrester. And they say and very specifically they say this sentence. The worst thing Sales leaders can do is sign up for unrealistic numbers. Now, Forrester's Phil recommends <laughs> for recommends four ways to set achievable numbers in 2021. So, I need your help to decipher some of this. Um, okay. I think you are you have more experience in corporate jargon than what my uh, chimp brain does here, Victor. So, the first one: arm yourself with third-party economic and budget data to justify your predictions. That makes sense, right? Yeah look at some yep. outside sources and that helps.
1: Well, that that gives you justification to be realistic about things, right? Use some, some external market conditions that might be occurring in the market to kind of level play, level the playing field before yep. we spike any, you know, that whole thing. Yeah. The jargon kicks in really quick. <laughs>
0: okay. So the, well, I'm going to be serious about this jargon. We'll see in a second. So point two, we're too late for this one. Planning The planning process should have started before the fourth quarter. So I guess what they're saying here is if you've not already started planning the budgets moving forward and trying to make them more realistic with the uh, uncertain market conditions that we're, that we're living in right now, you, you, you've made a mistake. But this is the big one. This is the one that I need you to help me decipher. All right. Utilise a structured planning process with a, with a goal of measurable priorities that can result in plans that empower and motivate sales reps.
1: Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, one of the things we used to do, I, I totally get that one, actually. <laughs> it's, what it was is that, uh, well, I'll give you an example. In the telecom business, instead of, if you get a quota for, let's say, I'm just going to say a million dollars because it's a simple number, right? million sure. dollars for one year. And instead of doing the 25, 25, 25, 25 split per quarter, what we would do is we would look at where we thought the waves were coming in. And so sometimes we would start out, okay, in the first quarter, you, all, you, all you have to do is hit 20%, and then you ramp it up from there. Or you hit your 30% in the first quarter, because you knew that where the big nut was gonna be, and then you structure it. So based on the information you had, you knew how to structure these quotas. And so by moving these numbers around, you could actually set a very low percentage of quota for the first quarter, kind of keep the salesperson motivated in the game, right? And hoping that the second quarter, they'll pick up steam, so forth and so on. So that's how I view that. That's how I would structure my planning process. In terms of compensation, now, in terms of our planning process with a goal of measurable priorities, I mean, come on, that's up to salespeople to figure that out. I guess we could, I guess today, I guess given the the way we're using technology, I would assume the implication here is let's use some of the data to really help salespeople structure how they should plan their year out. What accounts are priorities? Tier one, tier two, three, tier three. That's what I think. It's a lot of babble, though. Sure.
0: Genuinely, I would not have. Come to that conclusion from that um, sentence of nonsense. So, uh, I, you know, <laughs> it's just one of the le- levels of value you're offering to the show, to me, and to the audience here, Victor. Um, and then the, the fourth point here is to engage stakeholders in planning and encourage cross functional collaboration. Again, I'll, I'll see if I can decipher this one is what we're saying here that we need to be less siloed. We need to get management involved in the bigger deals. We need to get marketing involved in perhaps carpet bombing some love bombs over these accounts that we're going after. Is that what we're looking at here when we're engaging stakeholders and encouraging cross-functional collaboration?
1: yes and other functions would include like customer support technical support application engineering support let's all get on the same team let's all get on the same page let's really work together share the information if you hear something you let me know if i hear something i'll let you know you know all that but the reality is that works at a certain level but when the workload is heavy people have to begin to prioritize and so what i learned when i was in corporate america and i had to work with cross-functional teams (laughs) is I took care of what I would do is I would take care of my cross-functional team. I knew who the stakeholders were within the company that were helping me put a proposal together. That was one department. Support was another department. Engineering was another department. I knew who my key players were. And you know what? Well, every time I traveled somewhere, I would come back with a bag of goodies, you know, or I would take them out to lunch and I would treat them right. Every smart person knows that. Every smart salesperson should, should know that. So Victor, you're, you're, you're not- off
0: somewhere and you're coming back and you want to keep someone in the good books. What's in a, a Victor bag of goodies?
1: Oh, obviously mean, it would be like bottles of wine. Uh, sometimes it was like there's some local delicacies that you can, you know, they're sure. boxed up. Today it's easier because you can just go get it at the airport. But back then, you know, it was harder to find local things at the airport. And so I would make sure that I would take one day or one evening to go shopping. I could pick up scarves. You know, whatever, you know, if it was, for example, Argentina, known for leather and wine. Yeah. So I would pick up leather gloves and maybe bring back some bottles of wine.
0: And Makes so I always,
1: got yeah. by, I always got stopped by Customs. So what are you doing? And I would just say, that's what I'm doing. And I go, I get it. Let's go.
0: <laughs> well, I will ask you what you brought back from your trips to Colombia and what happened at Customs there. We'll, we'll save that for this week in sales after after hours or something.
1: By the way, I have stories. I have stories. <laughs> <laughs> I have stories.
0: Okay, so we'll we'll get into actually sharing content internally and sharing ideas internally in a second with regards to work at home. But what have we got next up in the in the dock here, Victor?
1: Look at I mean, so Gartner, one, one of my favorite websites to visit. You know, I want to I want to you know, this is not shameless promoting for Gartner, but it is shameless promoting for Gartner because I think they have some of the greatest, some of the best studies and some of the most insightful perspectives. Whether you agree with them or not, it's a point of conversation, data point. So, this is what Gartner is saying. By 2025, which is like four years away, maybe five, right? Depending on how you look at numbers, 80% of B2B sales interactions between suppliers and buyers will occur in digital channels. I mean that's huge. It continues. Gardner expects that by 2025, 80% of B2B sales interactions and 60% of buyers will uh, 60% of buyers will occur in digital channels. Of B2B sales organization will transition from experience and intuition-based selling to data-driven selling. Now, merging their sales process, application data, and analytics into a single operational practice. What does that mean? Translating it is that we're, we're starting to see this shift. Sales was always considered, you know, you know, let's just say five, 10 years ago, more of an art than a science. Sure. And what we're seeing is the full transition over more towards the 80-20 rule. Let's kind of use that, the Pareto principle, where it's now becoming 80% science and 20% intuition-based, persuasion, and influence. And I think that's an interesting shift because, again, many of the interactions are happening through the digital channels. So this whole thing about A, B, C, always be closing, done, right? Unless it's just some commodity product. But I I think this is an interesting shift. 80% of B2B sales transactions will happen in digital channels.
0: So I have I don't think we've talked about this. I know we've talked about AI a bunch of times on, on my show and on here as well, mm-hmm. on the Salesman Podcast and on This Week in Sales. But I've posed this to other people. Again, tell me if we've had this conversation because we'll, we'll keep it short if we have in the past. Mm-hmm. But it seems like at some point, and they've alluded to it here, that um, move from experience and intuition-based uh, selling into data-driven emerging sales process, applications, mm-hmm. data analytics. It seems like at some point, there's going to be an API for a large organisation and you plug in your data and you, your system will be able to say, hey, we're going to be able to do this, this, and this with the software, the tools and the resources and the people that you have right now. And here's going mm-hmm. to be the return on investment based on 10 other deals that we've done with this uh, within your marketplace. So then it becomes a no brainer to do these deals as long as you believe the data from the seller is is somewhat accurate. And you know, there's, there's multiple mm-hmm. ways to, to prove and disprove data on that front. So it'll take a lot. Uh, so and let me ask you this then, is that a realistic thing that could potentially happen in that a salesperson comes along and goes, hey, rather than me doing discovery, rather than me trying to get in with all these different people in the account, try and uncover all these stakeholders, we just plug this in and we say, hey, Using your plugins, using your data, using your CRM, we know that we can do one, two, three things for you. Does it make sense to get on a call and discuss
1: it? I think it's already happening. I think you know it's you know the early adopters have adopted this already. That's why you're seeing this this consolidation with like Zoom, for example, and Gong, which we've talked about in the past, right? That's all about figuring out how do we interpret some of these conversations. But also think about all the multiple channels that are being, you're, you're, you got emails, you got, you know, you got your texts, you got, you got phones, you got everything coming in, everything but it's mix it in the pot. And these, what's going to happen is that what we're considering complicated right now in our heads, because it's hard to fathom what you just said, right? Like, really, they can do that. But the thing is, they're doing it already. It just hasn't become commonplace yet, because only certain companies can do it who have their data structure act together Right.
0: Let, let me let me so, re- sorry. Uh, but let me mm, rephrase mm, the question mm, slightly. So rather than the data that we're pushing out as salespeople, uh, you know, mm, using Gong, using CRMs, we can pull them mm, all together and we can make a you know a unified message for the company. All sorts mm, of things. Mm, like mm-hmm. what I'm talking about, what I'm describing, it's not very well. Um, I'm not obviously not putting this point across very well. But the rather than well, maybe you start off with that unified message, but there's like a, a firewall on the enterprise side that we're trying to sell into that has mm-hmm. a, a gap in it, an API that we can plug into, and we're able then to see, in, you know, even if it's anonymously within their system, that we can potentially help them, rather than me ringing up Jane in IT and asking her a bunch of questions, do you think we'll be at the mm. point where a salesperson mm. or engineer, whoever, plugs into an enterprise, sees the they've got these four things going on, we can help them with one, two, and three. And so then that's the sales pitch, that we've seen your internal data, we know all of this has happened, and it's done almost like a, an, a computer handshake anonymously, as opposed to two humans communicating what they want and what they need. Does that make
1: sense? Yeah, it does. I think there, if it is, let me break it up in two parts. One part is that if, it, if you want to do that handshake, the API handshake to look into your systems, we have to have an agreement in place for me to do that, right? But also think about the reverse. So by the way, that would be one of us agreeing for you to be able to look at my stuff and then, okay, go ahead and plug your API in, look at my data and analyze what I have. I think they can do that today. You just got to do the official let's agree, get the non-disclosure running. But when you look at what course.ai or Gong does is that they got customers, right? That use their product. Gong can then turn around and look at their data and say, hey, Here's where you can find some more opportunities. Because that's the real value of Gong. It's not just yeah. interpreting. Gong turns around and goes to salesman.org and says, hey, you've been using our system with your 500 salespeople. Well, guess what we found? We looked at all your data. We've analyzed it. Here's what you need to do to win more deals. That's being done today. I don't know if that helped clarify it.
0: It does. And whilst, and again, we might, we're might going to the weeds. We'll pull it back out in a second. But what's mm. the legality of Uh, Gong, I I guess it depends on the Mm -hmm. the terms and conditions that you sign that everyone just clicks except when they Mm -hmm. sign up for these things. But what's the legality then or the ethics perhaps of Gong who is serving multiple competitors in one market and then Mm -hmm. using a competitor's data to go to another organization who's competing against them and say, hey, brand A is doing Mm -hmm. this. Maybe you should do this as well. I
1: don't think they would do that. That would that, that would be a conflict of interest. That would be stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? That would be really stupid to do that. Because that, that, why would anybody sign up for Gong? So I I assume that there's a confidentiality agreement. Our data is our data. You can analyze our data, and okay. you can tell us what we need. To that know, makes sense. But that's it. And so you know. And then again, the data is anonymized, GDPR, all that good stuff. So, but yeah, if Gong would share IP with another competitor, why would they use it? So I don't, I'm I'm almost sure there's like firewalls between all that.
0: Sure. Yep. Yeah, just a thought. Um, yeah. I, I never really, because I know Amazon Such- have been in trouble before for allowing a market uh, of certain products to exist, an ecosystem to build, and then they just go and rip off one of the products and release the Amazon Basics version of it, which is probably created in the same exact factory, and then just using their platform to promote their own products, even if it's a, a sponsored post and seemingly they're paying for the privilege of advertising on their own platform. Clearly, the money just bounces around internally and doesn't actually exist. So I know they've been in trouble for uh, manipulating these uh, kind of single, single ownership markets in the past as well.
1: I, I think with the Amazon one, I, I guess I would distinguish that is that people put their products on their platform, they create a store, so to speak, right? Amazon sees that that one's selling a lot, and then creates their Amazon basic version of that. Yep. One could argue that's full full blown laissez-faire, capitalism online, you know, because there's no agreement. We didn't sign an exclusive agreement. When I put my store online, sure. I didn't sign an agreement with you to say you can't copy it. So that's I think that's just capitalism. Fair I enough. mean, albeit albeit tilted towards Amazon side. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> capitalism.
0: Yeah, I think I'd want to be I I'd want to be holding Amazon shares at this point versus small widget maker who sells on Amazon, right?
1: That's correct. That's correct. All right. What do we got next?
0: So next topic, how virtual teams can share better knowledge. We we alluded and touched on this at the top of the show. So there's a a bunch of points here, so we won't go through it all in one chunk. but despite many tech uh, companies announcing that workers could remain remote going forward, leaders like JP Morgan's Jamie Dimon have called employees back to the office. And the concern here essentially is that whilst everyone is siloed, they can do their own job. They are finding that there is limited communication between each of these home-based silos. And so there's no innovation, there's less progression, there's less conversations. And if a mistake happens, it's easier for it to be swept under the carpet rather than rather than picked up. So this organisation, or JP Morgan and other organisations within this study, this is over at hbr.org. They are suggesting that this is very easily solved by managerial intervention, <clears throat> who what they call, who are doing what they call guided meetings. So management booking meetings, uh, in, employees are paired up and each person has to basically reflect on the week. And then the other employee who they're paired up with, I guess, reflects on their reflection and they go back and forth. It's almost like a, a mini counselling session, I guess, once a mm-hmm. week. And that's uh, they found in this study that that is tying together uh, this innovation that is being lost, this exchange in com- communication and conversations that's being lost by everyone working from home. And I thought this is relevant. I added this to the doc, Victor, because salespeople... Uh, somewhat, not not um, from necessarily from a bad perspective. They are somewhat known as perhaps being lone wolves. Uh, you know, you've got a sales target to hit. It doesn't matter if Barry down the corridor hits his or not. It matters if you hit yours. If you want to take home your money for the year and you want to buy that Bentley or whatever stupid mm. physical object you want to buy. Mm. So perhaps salespeople don't share enough within organisations. So this is perhaps one way to to combat that. So what, what do you think about this, Victor? Is this a does this work for salespeople? Is this something that salespeople should be doing, or should we let salespeople just get on with their own job and not worry about over communicating things and, and engaging with others within the team?
1: Yeah, well, I think first of all, congratulations. I think this was a good find in terms of a study, some reporting. This is a good find because. Everybody's talking about the benefits of virtual teams, right? Yeah. And this one say, wait a minute. As you pointed out, there's little things like the, the creative piece, the collaboration piece, things that get lost in translation because of the digital media. We lose a lot. You know, it's almost like a leaky bucket, right? You're losing some real good creative content. So I'm glad you brought this up uh, because it does. It does. You, you're bringing about a new question. When does instead of, does virtual remote working work? We should now say, well. It depends. What are you trying to accomplish? What's the end goal and who are we working with in terms of salespeople? We're like, you know, walking individual profit centers, right? So as I pointed out earlier, I'll take care of my stakeholders, which are the people who support my sales process. But i'm not worried about will down the aisle you know or in the uh the other digital room about whether he's hitting his quarter or not screw will you know about me me. i thought we were bros (laughs) what is this no that's a hypothetical (laughs) hypothetical and so i'm worried about me first and i'll take care of my my internal stakeholders the people that support me but but in the case where i mean can, can you imagine like in the case of where a lot of collaboration is needed creative work and collaboration is needed it doesn't work, I think. It really doesn't work. Because sometimes it's just you and I having a conversation in the office. I, I trigger something that ripples into this. Let's do this. Let's whiteboard this real quick. Let's get in. Yep. So it doesn't work. So I, I get what they're saying. I, I I agree. I think they know their business better than we do. And I think they're saying, it's not working for us.
0: Yep. There, I, don't, I can't remember the name of it. I'll put it in the show notes if I can track it down. But there's a phenomenon and it's really well studied in um, married couples, right? Of a there's almost a shared memory that forms between married couples. A married couple, one person will start a story, another person will finish it. And it basically reduces the the load on the brain. And they've put people into functional MRI machines and they've, they've studied this and they can see that that the brain activity in the brain flicking between one person and another. And it almost allows you to to pull out and get all this deep knowledge out of your brain, sit back for a second. Recuperate and then go back and forth. And it, I think it was every every uh, five to 10 seconds that the brain activity would switch over between the two individuals. So I've never worked with anyone that I've been uh, uh, getting close to marry or married to. So there's perhaps a, a diminished level of this effect in the workplace. But things like this exist. As you described, Victor, Of you say something, this one goes, Oh, I've never thought about it like that before. And you've, you've just sparked this um, creativity. And I think it's important in sales of a lot of. My best experiences in sales, and when I've taken leaps forward in my own um, ability to sell, they've come from someone saying something that they thought was just obvious that I hadn't mm-hmm. considered before. Perhaps because they had you know, the burden of knowledge that they, they they had more experience and more knowledge, and they just thought that was that was normal. Everyone knew it. And so I, I hear something, and I go, oh great, I'll try that, and then that's how I've taken big leaps forward. It's I've taken leaps forward from, from training specifically, but also just from random conversations with people who are just th- those few years ahead of me.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, there's that that's happened to me many times, and you got me thinking about, you know, we're all exuberant, you know, so, well, not all, but some of us are exuberant about working from home, right? And we're saying to ourselves, we tell ourselves, we're getting as much done, if not more. That's what we're telling ourselves. Yeah. But I'm wondering if, if we'll look, you know, five, ten years from now, we'll look back and say, you know, this isolation effect of you being by yourself really didn't produce, you know, the level of activity you should have produced. And maybe we're not being optimized. We think we are, but maybe we're not being optimized. So this is an interesting topic. I think it's an interesting topic. So yeah. I, I'm glad you brought it up because I think it's very fascinating.
0: And and there's a massive difference between productivity of I've made 50 more calls today versus mm levelling up your ability to make calls, getting in touch with the right people, spending time with a, a leader within your organisation just because they sit next to you at lunch or something like that, and you pick up a few things. There's there's multiple levels of all to this, and I don't know how productivity is measured. Um, I guess in sales, it is you know, numbers dialed, email sent, conversations had, which hopefully lead to deals being done as the end metric. I don't know mm-hmm. how successful it is to measure things via these, uh, these metrics, but more dials isn't always the best way to go about this, I don't think.
1: Yeah, I think we're missing, you know, we, we need that human interaction. And I don't know if video can fill that gap. Like you and I talk, would be great, but it'd be, if we were in the same room, I bet you there'd be more explosions going yeah. on mentally in terms of, hey, what about this? What about this? Let's try that. And I think we're missing that element. And maybe that's what they're highlighting that, you know, I think we're missing something because we're not being as creative. We're not thinking out of the box. We're not being as competitive because we're just not working together. And I think people tend to, I've noticed that people tend to, to retreat to their computer, almost like you know, they love their inanimate object. They just want to talk to their computer or through it, as opposed to reaching out and picking up the phone and just really dialing in with somebody. Yeah, that makes a sense.
0: So the next topic, take us through this one, Victor, and this ties in with this idea of, of a collection of knowledge within an organization.
1: Well, I, I wanted to highlight this company because I was on a call, you know, uh, you have the Salesman podcast, I have the Sales Influence podcast, and I interviewed uh, a gentleman over at uh, Gong uh, who I want to talk to because he was, he's in the content management strategy, right? I go, what content, what content management strategy. And I don't think we talk about that enough. Well, that I, I wanted to find out more. So I'm picking his brain. I'm like, oh my God, this is a great topic. And I think it's going to, by the way, again, we're ahead of the game, Well. This is going to be a major topic in the, in the future. This will be a major topic. And what he was talking about, uh, by the way, is Devin Reed over at Gong.io. Uh, and it was a great conversation. So we'll post it in about a week or two. But I was asking about, you know, we're talking about managing content. And I was like, well, what do you mean by managing content? He says, well, Victor, you know, typically we get marketing develops content. And we hope that salespeople will use it, yeah. right? <laughs> and we all know what the rule is, right? The majority, 80% of it is never used. Salespeople wind up creating their own content. Marketing gets mad. Product management gets mad. Everybody gets mad because salespeople was not doing it. Then salespeople blame product management and marketing for not giving them the right tools and assets to actually sell. And so he says, what we're trying to do is figure out using AI algorithms to figure out what, co- what content really resonates by tying them, when somebody pulls content from the library and they tie that to a, one, a deal that was won, we have some correlation. Not causation, but we have some correlation. So that was one aspect of using content. And in the future, you can imagine that the AI will be able to generate some content, right? Or at least highlight what content is needed. On the other side, on the, on the marketing side, he was talking about how we're going to need different content. This is happening today. He says, what we're finding is that There are different pieces of content that the buyer needs to see on different parts of their journey towards reaching out or buying your product. So think about it. Different clients, different personas, ICPs, ideal client profiles, at different times of the actual buying cycle, looking at different pieces of content in order to close the deal. And I was like, okay, this is going to get fascinating because only an AI algorithm can figure this out. Like how do we give the right content at the right time to the right person to ensure that the deal is closed? And then how does the system tell us what content needs to be developed? And so he mentioned a company called seismic.com. So I went on their website and looked at some of their stuff and I'm like, okay, this is where content management is going. So I wanted to highlight that because we are at the forefront. Well, again. So it's funny you talk about
0: this, Victor. I have, and it was just going to cost too much money and uh, be too much of a a burden on mine and the team's time to to co-promote with our, with our own training. That's uh, you know the focus of everything that we do. Right, um, a content management platform that you know is it, it, not on the size of size. I mean, it's more for small to medium enterprises versus the enterprise, uh, the, the large enterprise. But I've literally got what I think is the future. I'll send it you, actually. I'll send you some of the plans so you check it out. Um, I might even just post it publicly because we're not, we're not going to do it now. To create a minimum viable product, um, like a test version of this, it was just going to be too expensive, too time consuming. But there's massive opportunity here. And I pull back to um, and this the, the whole genesis of what that project was going to be of. In medical device sales, I went around with an iPad that I just created some simple slides that showed the endoscript. In fact, I might actually have... Here we go. So, anyone who's watching our video, this is, uh, I think it might be a urethroscope. I can't remember anymore. This goes inside the patient
1: and you look down one end of it and it wasn't- by the way if you're listening to this you need to come watch the video it's much more entertaining
0: <laughs> so this is this is legit been used uh how it remains in my hands it was uh, i bought it on ebay second hand after i finished up my last sales roll um and literally it's got a ton of little rod lenses in it's absolutely fascinating what's inside these and i've worn probably Three, four hundred thousand pounds worth of um, of new business by with my iPad. I just did a cutaway um, with several images that were um, company images that I just chopped up and placed together to show the little rod lenses that go inside this thing. Now, mm-hmm. the point of this was that these are about say I don't know how much they are now, but back then it was say like three, four grand a pop for each one of these. Mm-hmm. And what happens is the surgeon uses it dead carefully. And then Hmm. they pass it to the the nursing staff. The nursing staff puts it in a nice tray, dead dead carefully, and it goes down and it goes down to be disinfected. And the person who's disinfecting it doesn't realise what it is. And they throw it in a metal tin and smash it to bits, which costs these hospitals tens, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds a year in repair bills. So I've won via, via just this stupid, tiny little bit of content that I went in and did some training on the back of with my iPad, just explaining again, the rod lenses within this endoscope and uh, and sharing that with the you know everyone win the 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 kind of handling circle of these devices um, just that one little bit of education would save them tens of thousands a year if not a month on these different products and I'd sold on then the back of it that would get me a foot in the door and that's how I'd go about doing these deals so i then went to the seat, the team and was like hey we all need iPads we all need this little diagram that i put together and you know, it's not rocket science. I'm not, I'm not reinventing anything here. Um, you know, it's just something that I saw in the field that I thought would be good for everyone else. And of course, I got massive pushback. Nobody cared. There was no central database to store this content and information. And I was told to here, take this user manual and hand this to people instead. Stop using these you know, unauthorized images and this unauthorized content. So I know I've just gone on a bit of a tirade there, Victor. The point of that tale was that there's massive opportunity for... And I've not seen... I, I don't know Seismic. Um, I've not looked at the, uh, the, the CMS and the content management system for a long time, but there's massive opportunity for one person to be the sales force of managing this data within these organisations. And you're right, AI can come in and, and tie a lot of this up and make it actually useful, which I think a lot, as you said, the 80-20 of... It's probably... 95 of content that gets produced versus actually gets used in the field.
1: Probably, I you know I, here's here's a visual. By the way, I've, I've had your frustration before, Victor. You can't use it. That's not an authorized image. I'm like, but it's selling. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, I still used it. You know, because salespeople will say, yeah, 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 okay, I won't use it. Wink, wink, and then they go out in the field and they use it because they're they're responsible for a quota. They don't care what marketing says, but. Can I I future cast again? Just want to future cast one more time in this context. Now, let's go back to your endo. What is it? An endoscope? Endoscope. What is that thing you have there? Yeah. Uh, uh, Right. And so let's say that now you're presenting via, via Skype, Zoom, whatever it may be, right? And the AI is watching, right? It's measuring voice inflection. And then it's actually monitoring the conversation and the interaction. And then as you got to the part where you went on your pad and you started doing the digital board, Right, you started writing. Mm-hmm. You would see enthusiasm spike. They would read the facial expressions, the micro gestures. and go, "Oh, this really piqued their interest." Yep. When he went into that demo, it piqued their interest. Look at their voice. Look at the activity. And the AI will say, "We need to do that because right here we see spikes in interactivity." Will was right. Will was right. I think that's the future, right there.
0: Of course. And let me just future pace slightly further. Victor. Have you seen this Google demo? It was, it's about a year old now. It, it exists if you've got an Android phone. I think. Uh... A Nexus phone, whatever what the whatever the brand of the Google specifically built ones were, where a you know AI robot basically phones up and uh, calls a hairdresser and books an appointment. Have you seen that video?
1: Oh yeah, it's an amazing video. Right. I think the no, what I saw was a uh, they. I think it was a Chinese restaurant. They were trying to make uh, reservations, and what was fascinating is that the the AI the voice actually had like pauses, like yep. and hums. Mm. Okay. Mm. And, and the lady, uh, this, is not a, this is not a disparaging remark, had an accent, which is quite heavy, and the AI was still able to understand it. So we have one person going, mm-hmm, the machine, and the other person with a heavy accent, and they were able to make that reservation. That's amazing. That's where it's at.
0: It is. In the hairdresser example, the, the AI goes, hey, uh, one second, let me just pull out my diary. And to, again, to make it more real, clearly that the AI can see the diary in an instant. So the reason I bring that up, Victor, is how far away are we from Gong just being able to sell our products
1: via a slideshow without a human? Oh, I think we're, I think we're getting close. Yeah. I, think the, I think the fact that they're like, so the reason Seismic came up is because you remember last, was it two weeks ago, we talked about Zoom and Gong yep. doing a deal. But what I did know, and I found out yesterday, is that they also did a deal with Seismic. So now you got Seismic, content management, Uh, revenue intelligence platform, conversations, Gong. And then you got Zoom, the actual medium. Uh, This is getting close, this is getting close. And I I suspect, this is my suspicion, that Gong is building itself as a powerhouse, obviously, because they want to be acquired. By a very large company, well, and I'm putting I'm putting all my money on Microsoft. That's my prediction. Yeah, I, Microsoft will buy Gong. I agree
0: uh, because uh, we covered it on. Well, I covered it last week as you were kind of shielding from the storm, Victor. I had one of the product managers over at Salesforce reach out and send me some a few behind the scenes things, but then a, a public blog post that outlined that Salesforce have got all this as well. Now, when I compare feature for feature, it is slightly different to Gong and perhaps the. I don't, I don't know if they would like me saying this, but perhaps they're playing a little bit of catch-up, just with even the user interface and stuff like that. But regards, you know, Salesforce build it themselves. I feel like once you once they've committed to that, then they're not looking for. I don't know anything about this, but from a, a lay person, it seems like they're building it themselves. You wouldn't build it yourself if you're looking for an acquisition. So Microsoft seem like the the key brand to be to be chasing after a, a Gong, and then maybe a Zoom as well, even though they've got Microsoft Teams and and just just grabbing
1: the whole market. Well that's what I'm saying. Microsoft would be wise just to buy Gong now before they get even more popular. Yeah. That's what I would do. At least if not buy Gong outright, at least buy a, a good market stake, uh, you know, shareholder stake within sure. Gong. And by the way, if Amit Bendoff, the CEO from Gong is listening to this, you should give us a commission. <laughs> Will and I. For actually planting the ideas out in the field, so I'm just saying, yeah, throwing that out there, we're, just
0: in case to Because we have people calling us shills, uh, Victor, like <laughs> as if we've we've already been given commissions and we're just we're just trying to lubricate the deal at this point.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, the thing is, I mean, for those for those listening to this this week in sales, if you have a piece of technology you think it's worth us noting on this show, we're more than happy to look at the technology. Uh, but you know, it, it's got to be good, man. It's got to be good to make the game here. Yep. Got to make the show, you got to be good.
0: Yep, and, and very literally, just to reiterate that point, drop me or Victor a LinkedIn message. Send us a link, uh, a video. Even better, I had a couple of people offer, and I'll talk about this with you, after, Victor. I had a couple of people offer demos that would not go to a customer. They would be more of what an investor or someone would see. Because me and Victor, I don't want to speak out to term, mate, but I think you like all the sales technology. You find it just as interesting as what I do, right?
1: Oh, I think that's why we, we, we yeah. click on this show. because. And by the way, before I forget to mention, Walt, is that if you have a press release of some new acquisition, merger, new product, again, send us those press releases and I don't know, they might make it on the show. So uh, you're talking to two sales nerds right now <laughs> and we love this stuff.
0: For sure. For sure. Okay. So we're going to go from a serious topic to a, uh, we're just going to ruin all credibility with the title of this one. A study shows 66% of sellers would rather clean, and then it says the bathroom rather than their own bathroom. So I don't know if this includes cleaning other people's bathroom, which makes it way worse. 66% of sellers would rather clean the bathroom than update the CRM system. Is that, is that surprising to you, Victor, as a, as a title? And this it, comes from a, a Forbes
1: article. It is not surprising. I mean, that's, this has been around for quite a while. I mean, I think what they're trying to do now with different technologies to make it easier to put a, a content in, but still you know, the, the human aspect of our conversation, sometimes we have to go in there and update add notes. And it's just like, we as salespeople, we just want to run. Yeah. We hate stopping, you know, to fill the tires, so to speak. And that's what this is.
0: And there's, uh, the article continues, or the, the research that the article is based on continues, 90% of sellers complain that parts of the job takes longer than it should. The top areas listed were entering notes in the CRM system. I think we've mm-hmm. all been there at 35% of individuals. Updating or working in multiple systems which what we're trying to encourage here with our own acquisition of of going into Microsoft, we're, we're part of the, the issue here, Victor, with that one. Mm-hmm. And sales training activities. The sales training actually um, I thought was surprising. I have never mm-hmm. really had good sales training experiences in the different uh, corporate to sales jobs I've been in, but mm-hmm. I would never have said it was um, a, a bad use of my time. It might've been boring as, 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 as shit, to use a, one of a better word, absolutely boring as heck. But I never
1: thought this is a terrible use of my time. but but how much sales training are they getting that they would attribute 31%? I mean what are you doing Tra- I mean maybe they're training every day or something sure. is that okay so they that's interesting that number seems like really high. Do you know what I mean? I you know I could see maybe product you know getting to know new products or maybe marketing but training. Well, I know some teams do a,
0: and we don't. I, I don't know what market this is. It's B2B, but I don't mm. know if it's uh, more commodity based or, or enterprise or whatever, what, what it is. But I know a lot of teams will do you know a kickoff every morning and a wrap up every afternoon. Mm-hmm. I've never been in a sales team that's done that, but I've seen it from afar. And I would mm-hmm. personally, having again, not experienced it. So maybe I could, my mind could be changed, but I don't think that would be a particularly great use of my time.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to call Forbes on this one <laughs> and say you need you need you need to vet your content a little more. I'm just not I, I'm not. By, by the way, the first one, entering notes into the CRM system. You know what? My, my pushback to that would be I uh, look, you can actually record, you know, like the, the the dictation now is so easy. Why can't you just talk your actual notes into the actual system and let it transcribe? So I'm going to call that one out, too. OK, I'm going to call that one out. Uh, updating or working in multiple systems Ooh, might have a point there. Sure. You know, sometimes they got legacy systems they haven't collapsed. We're, we're actually, by the way, let's correct ourselves. We're actually advocating the consolidation of into a monolith, a mega system, right? A Microsoft mega system, like a Salesforce mega system or whatever other mega system there is. Uh, so, yeah. And by the way, if companies like Chorus, what's another uh, company? There's Chorus that does the uh, voice intelligence, uh, conversation intelligence, revenue intelligence platforms. Chorus would be another great company, by the way. Course is looking like it's you know it's moving up, so pushing course too I know. Yeah, I think I've got the CEO
0: of course. I'll I'll drop you an email uh, if it's. I, I don't want to. I've said too much. I've got the CEO of the company coming on. If it's a good interview, I'm just going to say I'll I'll uh, I'll drop you an email with his what, with his is it, they,
1: is it Roy? Yep. Yeah. Ranani. Ra- Ra- Ra-
0: I don't know. I've yeah, met. I don't know. A lot of like, these interviews, I, just for the audience's sake, I'm, it's not me being ignorant, come from PR people. By the time you've been through 500 PR emails and pulled out the people that you actually want to interview, names yeah. tend to get lost until you actually
1: speak with them. Yeah, I think it's Roy Rodani. I interviewed him uh, for the AI and Sales Podcast, and it was like, a, it was a great conversation. Uh, a serious contender, man. Serious contender. Serious branding. Gong. Watch your backside. Um, I'm just Googling it. Jim Benton. Jim Benton. No, that's not the guy I talked to.
0: Um, we won't go. Uh, Theo, we'll okay, leave it up. Roy Renani uh, is the president and co founder. So we're on oh, the right tracks.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Good. And man. So, but there's some extra. What, what's this other data point? They got some other data points here in this article. Well,
0: so the one that really know? stood out to me, Victor, was only 47% of sellers use their CRM regularly. And only forty percent use it as is intended. I guess by a sales engineer or the backend CRM engineer working at uh, these larger organizations. That blows my mind, right? Because I, my... I buy those numbers.
1: Really? I, I back Forbes on that one now. I, I I'll say Forbes. I kind of believe you now. Forty-seven uh, percent of sellers use their CRM regularly, system regularly, and only forty percent use it as intended. I think some people just use it to put the information in, so management gets off their back. And then those who use it as intended uh, to be, I'm almost sure that if you look at, if we were to break that, what sellers are, and if we were to look at SDRs and BDRs, they're the people that are probably using it correctly. And the outside salespeople are probably the people complaining about entering data. That's how I would slice that pot. I could be totally wrong. And, you know, people can actually call in and tell me. Well, I I know
0: when I I was in outside sales selling these endoscopes, medical devices, camera systems, and we were encouraged to go and see the customer or the potential customer, then sit in the car, fill it all in. Otherwise, obviously, after you've driven to the next hospital, then you've got to the next account, you've forgotten half the conversation that you've had. And that was a real pain and struggle for me because just logistically, it's just awkward working in your car. So Yeah probably you're accurate there, Victor, of the outside salespeople are just trying to dump it in or they'll come back to it later on. Or I even remember I used to have a little notepad and I used to jot out notes and then try and fill it in mm. at the end of the day. And then I used to get pushback from sales leadership, sales management for doing that because rightly so, you're forgetting half the stuff that you're writing down.
1: And then, and then the information gets distorted the longer sure. it takes to put it in and you lose a lot. But when I was talking to Roy over at course.ai, I think he was the one that, he shocked me when he told me this. I'm almost sure what he was. He was the guy who said only 5%. Of the conversations that outside salespeople have with their clients actually make it into the CRM. And that's why course, Gong, and others exist, because they're trying to get those conversations in there. So fascinating. Fascinating.
0: Okay. So with regarding to recording calls, you've got a a note in here from Riverside.fm. Tell us about
1: that, Victor. Well, I wanted to give you an update. This was really for 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 your ears and eyes only. But you know, by the way, I wanted to talk about it on this show, but really just have a conversation because I, I've been using riverside.fM and riverside.fM is like a like almost like Zencaster would be its direct competitor and it's a conferencing tool right recording conferences interviews and the good thing what they do is that they upload the video and the audio on each side into a cloud and you can download it right so you'll reduce the uh, the noise you know if you have a bad internet connection So I want to report that I like the product. The GUI is easy to use, so I would recommend it. So if you're going to record interviews, I think it's great. Also, they can do live call-ins, really easy. Somebody can video call in, jump right in there, and do the call. Perfect. Downside is when we do international, like you and I. Sure. It, I notice it just it's, it just can't handle it, and I don't think it's the software. I think it's just the connection, and I think the sensitivity to those connections really it. So if you're looking for, I guess this is on, that's why I put it in the technology section. If you're looking to record interviews and have live call-ins. Which I doubt most companies want to do, but maybe they'll have a guest CEO come in and want to just talk about something. This is a great software to use, Riverside.f, I endorse them one hundred percent.
0: I'll check it out. I saw the um, the ZenCaster equivalent uh, for video. This is isn't it? And I like the mm-hmm. idea of, of recording it locally. If there's any issues in, uh, you know, stutters. Within, with regards to the, the connection. That is something that I use Skype for all these recordings. We're recording on Skype right now to mm-hmm. to remove the, what's the saying? Remove the fourth wall. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Uh, to That's, remove I think it's the third wall. The
0: third wall. Well, we're beyond the third it's wall all, now, Victor. Whatever.
1: <laughs> We're going to say okay. okay, we're now inventing the fifth law. Okay, we're, in,
0: a- we're, we're we're enlightening the seventh dimension here of sales communication yeah. with the audience. And um, yeah, we we use I use Skype. I just found it's really uh, I find it's really I think it's just really robust. And there's a reason why these um, systems are not very ubiquitous. They don't, there's not a million video conferencing systems is because the prediction algorithms, the I, I guess it's some form of AI um, to to keep frame by frame data. Trying to do this podcast five, six years ago with Skype is a completely different experience, even though this, the program looks exactly the same than what it is now. And uh, right. more power to any of these organizations that can get going. It's the same with video hosting. The only companies that host videos are the tech giants that own massive data centers. Because if you want to start a competitor, the only place you can host your video is within. AWS of Amazon or over at Google servers. And so they're never going to give you uh, an opportunity to compete. And I think it's the same with some of the technology that's used in these uh, video communication platforms.
1: Yeah, I, they're evolving. Like I said, I think it's, it's a great tool. And I don't know, we'll see where it goes. But I, you know, my, my disappointment, and this is for the people at Zoom, Zoom listen carefully. <laughs> I said, I like you. You're easy to use. Everybody knows how to use you. You're like the go-to standard. I get that. But please, can you do something about the resolution when you record an actual video call? The resolution is sometimes, I think sometimes I got as low as 390 or 360. I forgot what the resolution is. I, I feel like I'm back in 1980s watching something and it's just, it's garbage. You can't use it. I don't know why Zoom cannot up their game on their infrastructure and provide high quality video. Dear Zoom, please let us know here at This Week in Sales why you can't do that.
0: Well, let me take a guess. It's probably that they're just so overrun because Zoom became the the, the Skype of the moment. Uh, I, I know mm-hmm. uh, how to describe it. Uh, we talk about, you, I'm going to Hoover the floor, and Hoover's a brand. I feel like mm-hmm. Zoom is now, we'll, I'll just Zoom you later on, as opposed oh, yeah. to we'll do a video chat. So I think just it became such a part of the zeitgeist over the past tw- six mm-hmm. to 12 months that they probably 10x the amount of, of traffic on their servers. And they're probably, there's probably a bunch of really unfortunate engineers who are just mopping the sweat from the forehead right now listening to this, Victor, who are trying to just keep on top of all this.
1: You know, there's two things that impress me with what you just said. One is that you've taken an empathetic role (laughs) <laughs> with a company not delivering great service uh, that's amazing for you because you're usually criticizing right so the other thing is that you managed to slide in the word zeitgeist nice in that conversation very nicely done and well. if you asked what? me to define
0: God. the word zeitgeist <laughs> i don't think i'd
1: be able to <laughs> I, it's the spirit right it's like the spirit of I'm gonna, in the spirit of i'm, I'm, I'm gonna
0: the problem is i like, also
1: zeitgeist. like a zeitgeist i think it's the spirit this in the spirit of, okay, what what is zeitgeist? I'm, I
0: talk a lot of nonsense and I'm also a terrible spell salesperson. So, zeitgeist noun, the defining spirit or mood of a particular period of history, shown by the ideas and belief of the time. I would have, very well done, sir. Very well done, sir. I would have never been able I got to the, pull that out.
1: I got I got the spirit part right. I I didn't get it within a particular time. But see, we're, we're much more than a sales show. We're a lexicon show also.
0: There's, there's going to be some... We'll have, we're going to have philosophy corner next week, and we're going to get into... Um, <laughs> I don't even know any philosophers to, to, yeah, to throw why in sell? there.
1: Why do we sell? Why do we sell?
0: <laughs> okay, next up. Now, I wanted to um, hide this from you and ask you the question, but I, I put it in the docs. So you've probably already seen it. This is a report from chiefexecutive.net. I was going to ask you the question, Victor. The missing sales metric that mean CEOs' successes or failures. What is that metric, Victor?
1: That, uh, so, what is the missing sales metric? What, what is the missing C- sales metric? Well, if I look at it, oh, I looked at I looked at that <sighs> right now. So I, oh, dang it! I wrote a book around this that I still have not released.
0: Upset. Oh wow! What's the book titled? Or oh, is this something that's coming, or is this something that's been sidelined just before I? Dive into but it in too this, much detail.
1: This, this is like no joke. This is like no joke. I finished the book. It had two titles, but I, I settled on mastering the upsell, and it's like it's like almost two hundred pages. I've had this done since March, fully edited. I just need to hit the launch button. Wow! And I have not published that book. This may be the catalyst that there motivates me to actually launch the book. And I, I described, I think, why upselling is important why it reduces the co- the acquisition cost. Yeah. Uh I show studies that, you know, just on upselling itself, you could increase your sales up to like 30% just on upselling and cross-selling. And then I give 16 different strategies that you can use to upsell products and then the pushbacks and so forth and so on. So I might have to just boom release the book now. It sounds it sounds
0: like we planned this to pitch the book, but yeah
1: it, it, does. it does. I'm like I I just I just literally looked at it. I just said oh upselling is that it I never would have guessed that. I never would have guessed that. All right, well, that's it. I'm launching the book.
0: You should do. Well, we'll we'll tie it in. We'll I'll I'll when the book comes out, I'll link it in the show notes to this episode as well, um, and we'll, we'll get it in the video descriptions to drive some traffic to it. There, good. Right. So this report, uh, and tell, tell us if this aligns with what your your book's about, Victor. But ChiefExecutive.net they share that new logos are going to be more difficult to land as many companies pull back from trying new services while they try to survive a tougher business environment, according to Gartner only 28% of sales leaders say they're meeting their cross-selling and upselling growth targets. So people know that they should be doing it because they can answer a, a quiz in a poll that they're not doing enough of it but seemingly the gap is your book of them not knowing how to do it perhaps.
1: That plus what I, what, I, what I've discovered in my research is that if you don't make upselling part of your sales process, it doesn't happen. That was the big aha as I was doing research for the book and because I asked people where's your upselling? You know step they're like what you mean the follow-up i said no no the upselling piece like where do you begin to upsell like upsell isn't after you sell the product upsell is you planted during the discovery you know the presentation all the way through and i asked people is that in there and the majority say no it's not it's an afterthought oh by the way since you're buying that would you also like to buy this customers like no Uh, it's too shocking so that's great data by the way i'm telling you i think you've motivated me just to kind of launch this thing good the the zeitgeist I can't use the word zeitgeist. I was going to try to use zeitgeist again. Sorry, I blew that one. Well,
0: I I expect some accreditation within the front cover, Victor. I'll be disappointed
1: otherwise. I'll make the adjustments (laughs) and the acknowledgments, man, just for you, Will.
0: Well, I, I wanted to bring this one up because it's something that I'm focused on internally with our training now. We're getting asked more and more about, I've never really done this before. I've done it for a few organizations, but people are joining the training and then they're asking for Consulting and other things on the back of it. So that's mm-hmm. what motivated me to to look at this uh, kind of the, the principles mm-hmm. and the ideas of of upselling and look at some of the data points on this. And as I said, when Gartner come out with a fact or a you where know, a fact or uh, come out with data saying that twenty eight percent of sales leaders say that they're not they're not meeting their own targets, I, I, there's, there's got to be an opportunity there, hasn't
1: there? Oh, it's a huge opportunity. I mean, think of first of all the. There, you don't have to go talk to somebody new. They already bought from you. Yeah, that's one. Two, your your costs, your acquisition costs are almost nil because you already have them. Uh, you're holding on longer term, so the customer lifetime value, you know, cycle could be extended. That means they're worth more over time. And again, the the upselling piece is just mentioning something you have and you have the way in. So I would focus. I always say there's only four strategies in this market. That's it. And selling there's only four strategies. Go out and gain new clients retain your existing clients, upsell. That's the growth strategy. And the fourth one would be reactivate people who haven't bought. Yep. And go back and get some of those. And so but the upselling is the is the big piece that's always missing. So yeah, good point.
0: And I guess hey, upselling, Will. sorry to I guess upselling is also part of that reactivation process, right? If you have someone who's just been plodding along and the the, the usage of your product has slowed. The same ability, perhaps. Or tell me if I'm wrong, but some of the same strategies of upselling is well, what will be what could rejuvenate that uh, that account and that contract as well.
1: Oh, absolutely! Great point that you highlight that because it's really that's really more like a it could be a sales function, but it could also be a marketing function. Sure. Like marketing can reach out and say, "Look, we realize you haven't bought the last six to twelve months. We know you have this. Here's what we're doing. You know, what I mean, so marketing could play a major role in the upsell and cross sell. Marketing and sales." For those growth strategies and reactivation strategy, perfect one-two punch. Look at this. We're helping companies <laughs> for free here, Will. I mean, it's, just, it's a shame. Well, but the we, thing we is,
0: I don't know if we could charge for this content, Victor. I think that's I the... Know, uh...
1: <laughs> I think we can, man. We're going to have to set up a Patreon account or something. Something. So, hey, just just drop just drop us some big money in there, man. So anyway. But hey, Will, can I talk about relationships? You You, you can talk about our relationship, Victor. <laughs> okay. So did you know that building relationships on the sales calls is important? So in this article, okay, I threw this in here because I just, sometimes when I read something, I go, I get it, it's obvious, but sometimes we have to state the obvious. And so I wanted to put this under, you know, sales training because I want people to remember this. And, and I'll, I'll explain why this was really front and center with me. Building a relationship with someone you can't see can be difficult, but simply changing the way you talk can make a big impact. Here are six tips for using the phone or a video, I assume, to also to your advantage in making connections, match volume, blend voice volume, really saying the same thing, match talking speed, the rhythm, cadences, the energy, and vocal variety. All these are important. The one that I always like to highlight is the, the speed and the energy. Because sometimes you wanted somebody, you know, sometimes a salesperson comes up too heavy or too much energy. It's like, well, pull it down, I'm a type A. But the reason I wanted to highlight this is because as I was talking to Devin, and I hate to use Gong I.O. again, but it was it was just fascinating conversation. We talked about training. And one of the things he talked about how is that they listen to their talk tracks on, from the for the phone calls. And it, they're first asked, what did you how do you think that call went? And, they, you know, a lot of people say, Oh, killed it. I know yeah. I nailed that call. And then they have meetings, I think, once a week to review some of these talk tracks, the actual audio. So people sit in a room and everybody listens to each other. And it was interesting how he was talking about how listening to your voice, you're like, oh, I blew that one. But then, you know, when somebody else puts their talk track in and everybody's listening to it, you begin to understand because you hear the right cadences, you hear the right inflections, you hear the right tones. And I just want to highlight that this is a skill set. Much like upselling is an undervalued skill or sales process, this is an undervalued skill, in my opinion, video or phone. That's why I wanted to talk about that.
0: And it makes total sense. What, do, how much value do you put into things like, um, because I, I don't know where I stand on some of this either, the, the skill sets of being able to like lead a conversation or set up your frame as a, I'm going to use weird terms here that sound outdated in 80s and 90s sales training-esque, but we'll be able to discuss on the back of them. Um, so basically being like the alpha in the conversation. Leading it and, and and pushing people to fall in line with your cadence and and speaking and the, the, the speed of things rather than you matching theirs. How much how much you know if you were to do training and that question was brought up, Victor. How much would you put on that as as a valuable part of the skill set, as opposed to what we're talking about here is
1: being polite and building rapport, isn't it? Right. I mean, I don't, the emphasis I would put on, I. If it was a full day of sales training, I'd probably give it a full hour just on this. That's what I would do, because I think it's that important to get the. Re- because the thing is, you can you can you can you can read a script, but we all been on that phone when a person sounds. You could tell they're reading the script yeah. well, and it takes you to kind of memorize this st- and then say it the way you would say it and putting a pause here. You know, inflection there makes all the difference in the world. So I think this is a skill set that's not going to go away. Even as much as we bring on machine learning and we go towards the science, that 80-20, that 20% is still going to be some of this, that I feel comfortable. Your voice is very soothing to me. Now, you could argue, because we're future casting again, (laughs) that the AI one day, based on that Google experiment you saw, will be able to do all this naturally.
0: Well, imagine if Skype, Zoom, whoever... Pitch corrected your voice, and did some of this for you. You speak your words like um, I know Google earbuds have this. I guess it's connected to the phone, but you're able to speak English into your earbuds, and then someone can hear Chinese in theirs. It does real time translation. What if all of this can be done <clears throat> automated for you? And because and the context of this everyone listening to this and watching this, clearly Victor is a, a professional public speaker with decades of experience. When you listen to his voice, the tonality, it goes up, it goes down, there's excitement, there's pauses. There's stops and starts. When you listen to me, I sound just like the random fella off the street you'd sell in your <laughs> pork pies or sausage rolls in a, in a shop. No, no, don't you don't. I, I, no, it is, and it's something that it's something that I'm trying to improve. It's something I'm working on. Uh, so I'm going to ask you in a second any resources or anything you'd recommend to to improve it for myself. But what ha- what happens if AI can do all this for you? Like we have auto tune for uh, rappers to sound weird on uh, rap tracks. Can we not do this automatically? Uh, you know, someone speaks into a, a phone, camera, a microphone, and AI does this work for us. Well,
1: oh, by the way, changing the, the their octaves intonation, I think that's. I think it all exists. It's the accuracy that people worry about. You know what I mean? And the, those human interactions, how accurate can the machine algorithm be? So we're not talking. Can it be done? It can be done. It's how accurate is the machine and how consistent is it that we are comfortable letting the machine handle it. But yeah, five years from now, 10 years from now, I mean, even that's going to be ai would away.
0: I think we should do ourselves out of a job here, Victor, all this. So let me ask you this, because <laughs> I think I think this, is, this could be useful for the audience. Because again, I think, because I listen back to these shows, there is a massive difference between the way that you speak, it's 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 far more interesting. It's clear that you've trained this and you've worked on it and practiced it. And it's clear that I'm a, a fellow from the north of England who hasn't done much work on this, who's doing a podcast for five years, who should have done some work on this in the past. How, how What would you recommend to someone who wants to improve their ability to, I guess it's, it's public speaking, right? Their ability to, to speak and, and tell stories and, and be more interesting via the, the vocal tonality and, and pacing and things like that?
1: I think one is the obvious one is listen to yourself. You know, you just listen to yourself. The other thing that I realized years ago is that I think I have to say something and I have to say it at a certain speed so people get it and I feel like I need to get it out. It sounds like that, right? And I've learned that what happens is like drinking from a fire hose. You're not giving the other person a chance to absorb. So if you become very empathetic, which I know you are. Because you empathize with those people at Zoom, uh, if you empathize with if you empathize with people, you go. You know what? Let me break this down into chunks so that you can understand exactly what I'm saying. So let me walk you through it. And then when I'm going to go fast, I want to generate that excitement. I'll do this, A, B, C, one, we'll two, three, four, five. Let's do that. But you know what I mean. And just practice that. I don't know how to also explain it, but you don't have to spew it all out because you think it's. It makes more sense. Sometimes it's giving people the pauses to give the other person a chance to go. Okay, got it. Okay, got it. And be comfortable with that pause, just like you do. When you did a little experiment, you were saying what I do. You were doing. You were when you were mimicking me. You sounded like me. Sure. Because you were you were adding the pauses. That's all it is. That makes no sense. Well,
0: I will I will because I do just throw a load of stuff out there. Now for the rest of the show, Victor, I'm going to be a bit more intentional. About the see now, I feel like I feel like I'm holding back, and I feel like the show's going to take four hours to finish.
1: If I <laughs> like, carry on like this, <laughs> yeah, don't go that answer. <laughs> hey, well, I want I want to jump to the book review so we can yep. wrap this up. If okay, fine. Uh, th- look, I've been re- I rarely get excited about a book. Like, I mean, there's a lot of good books out there, but I'm reading this book. I don't even know who this guy is. I think it's day Dave- How would you pronounce that last name? David. I want to say primer. It's P-R-I-E-M-E-R. It, it looks like just Premier this. spelled wrong. Premier. I know, like Premier spelled wrong, right? And so David, Premier, Primer, whoever you are, doesn't matter. All, they got to, all you got to do is remember, this book came out in April. It's titled Sell the Way You Buy, A Modern Approach to Sales That Actually Works, Even on You. And I'm reading this book, and I think it's one of the best books I've read in terms of a compilation of, of neuroscience influence persuasion with real life tactics that you can actually use via video or via phone. No cheesy tactics, great scripts in there, examples. I, I love when people tell you, here's what you need to do. Now, let me show you a few how to do it and walk you through it. And then he kept tying it back to the science and then he kept bringing it forward to the actual application. So he had this beautiful balance of sales and art or just science and art that I'm going to highly recommend this book. It's called Sell the Way You Buy by David Primer or Premier. Check it out.
0: Good stuff. Well, I'll link to that book in the show notes to this episode, uh, which will include below these videos that go on YouTube and everywhere else as well. And with that, Victor, I'll share my key takeaway of the week and then you can wrap up the show with yours. Mine is very simple. Going back to the very top of the show, if you're not negotiating your 2021 contract, you're not negotiating your sales targets you should be negotiating them. They are things that can change. They can go up and down. They're not just something that's given to you. Even if your sales manager claims that they are, they've been given to him and he's probably, or he or she has negotiated on, on their behalf as well. So if they're not willing to negotiate, perhaps take a look at some of the things that we talked about at the top of the show, in the show notes, some of the documents there, some of the resources, and uh, that'll give you some some ammunition to, to arm yourself to go back and, and fight for. It doesn't have to be a lower number, but an appropriate number.
1: Uh, that's a great point. And like I said, uh, start negotiating early. We always did that. Like we we started to negotiate like in the third quarter, even before the end of the third quarter, we were already negotiating. You know, we're we're setting anchors. I don't know if this, guy, you know, they're going to have the budget next year. I don't know if we can really hit this number. But when we, and then we had, I don't know how you did it. We had to go in there and face a committee of people from the company, everybody represented, right? Yeah. You got manufacturing, product management, and then you have to give your pitch, and then they would have that discussion where they go. Wait a second, Victor. All the whispers going on at the table. And they're like, bam, here's your number. You're like, no. So some people would walk out of there with big smiles. Some people would walk out of there very depressed. It was really interesting to do that. My my big takeaway from the week was the, the, the conversation with Debit about how we're using conversation and content. That was the big one for me because I never really thought about how we're going to use content, how we're going to manage the content. And as the buyers go along in their journey, how do you use that content to pull people in? Tie that in with Gartner's data point about, you know, eighty percent of buyers are not going to go through digital channels, and it's it's you know in my head I'm going where is this going Will, where you know we're seeing the the the, the digital transformation of the sales profession, and, and I'm still trying to figure out what does that look, look like in the future, and that that was my takeaway. He gave me more. I guess he just threw more fuel on my mental fire to go where is this going. So I'm excited, but also there's some anxiety because you're trying to figure it out. How is this thing going to roll out? Amazing stuff. Well, I'll probably quiz
0: you on that next week to see if some of the pieces have have come together and you've got any new insights on this, because it's clear content is becoming more important and salespeople trying to blag things on the phone is becoming less important over time. Do you think that's fair to say? I think it is. Good stuff. Well, we're in agreement, as always, as we project the future.
1: We'll
0: we'll, we'll project enough, Victor, and some of it will be right.
1: And by the way, we should, we, should let, we should let large corporations know, enterprise corporations know, that if you really want to understand where the market's going, the future of selling, you should watch <laughs> this week in sales. And with that, and Victor, with that,
0: my name is Will Barron. <laughs> that is Victor Antonio. And we'll join you again uh, next week in sales.